Hello, and welcome to the first episode of 2019 and the first episode in part two of our season eight, A Simple Guide to a Sustainable Home. If you're listening to this live, it's the beginning of a new year. I hope that you've had a fantastic holiday. Perhaps you're still on break. Maybe you're back into the, the swing of things. Uh, but I always find that this time of year is it's just a gorgeous time of possibility and potential. And if renovating or building is on your agenda in 2019, I sincerely hope that Undercover Arctic can be your secret ally as you navigate your journey. Now, I can't wait to dive into all the things that I have planned for this year, all the great info and knowledge that I want to bring to you in order to help and support you. So without further ado, let's dive in. Welcome to Get It Right with the Undercover Architect. This is the podcast all about designing, building or renovating your home. I'm your host, Amelia Lee. Think of me as your secret ally. I am on a mission to help you create a home that makes your life better, whoever you're working with and whatever your dreams, your location or your budget. Together we'll uncover the nitty gritty of how to get it right and how to create a home that works, feels great and that you feel great in. So join me now. Now, before I jump into this episode, let me tell you that this episode is brought to you by my online course, How to Get It Right in Your Reno or New Home. This is a super fast course that will help you get ready for your renovation or building project in the best way possible. In it, I share my step-by-step -step system to help you save time, money and stress in your project so that you can know what you need to know and can create the perfect home simply and with confidence, avoiding the dramas and the heartache. You can join now and get access to a fantastic Facebook community, monthly live Q&A sessions with me, all the tools and resources that you need to achieve success in your project and to create a home that feels great. So head to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash how to get it right to learn more and to join us. Now on to the podcast episode. Look, when I planned season eight, a simple guide to a sustainable home, I really underestimated what doors it would open and simply the volume of information that I could find, as well as incredible willing professionals who wanted to help out and really share their knowledge and their advice with the undercover architect community. And so to kick off 2019, we're diving into part two of this season because I just couldn't all fit it all into part one. Now there's a gorgeous architect that I know, Talena Edwards of Talena Edwards Architecture. Uh, she's based in Victoria and she and I connected ages ago over social media. She's been a great, just such a fantastic supporter of Undercover Architect. I knew that she was a, bit, a big advocate of sustainable design and so I got in touch with her about one of her projects in particular and whether it was something that uh, I wanted to see if she would be willing to share it with the Undercover Architect community on the podcast. Well, Talina did far more than that. And as a result, we are in store for some fantastic listening and guidance over the next couple of months. See, the project that I wanted to speak to Talina about uh, is a passive house. And so what's a passive house? Well, you may be familiar uh, with it when it's spelt the German way, which is P-A-S-S-I-V-E-H-A-U-S. -S -S -E now, let me say up front, 
Passive house is not to be confused with passive design or passive solar design. Passive house is actually a specific way, specific set of measures uh, that are involved in designing and building a new or renovated home so that it meets certain requirements that lower its energy use and improves the health and well-being for its occupants. It creates energy efficient homes and it gives a system uh, to design, test and audit the home's performance overall. And I actually think it's going to get some serious traction in Australia as one of the best ways to build or renovate your home. Overseas, particularly in Europe, it's popular for its ability to create energy efficient, energy efficient, comfortable homes that don't need significant heating and cooling, even in extreme climates, even when it's snowing. So there are some, you know, areas of Australia and, uh, and in the USA for my American listeners, where homeowners think that their climate is too mild to be concerned about this. But Passive House offers huge opportunity to really understand and know before you commit to construction, how the design of your home will feel to live in and what it will cost to run. Now, over the next batch of episodes, I'm going to be bringing you a huge range of Passive House professionals. I originally only intended one episode on this, and I am so glad that it's turned into this beautiful, comprehensive series of episodes, uh, because I think you're going to really benefit from the information that's shared. Even if you don't want to do a Passive House, okay? Even if you don't want to do a Passive House, I would love you to listen and hear how these, just these professionals support and collaborate with their clients clients and how passionate they are about what they do and how well informed and experienced they are in what they do and what that brings to the process overall. Because for me, this is what building the right team is all about and about you building a team that's going to support you delivering the home that you want. So the people that I'm going to be speaking to, they've pursued official certification in Passive House and they'll explain more about what that means. They're all very generous and very clever people who share so much great knowledge, uh, advice and tips. And I know it's going to make a huge difference to how informed you are, not only about Passive House, but about, you know, creating your dream home in general. So what really excites me though about the upcoming episodes is that you're going to be able to understand how Passive House has worked in a project example. So I'm going to be talking with the architect, the builder, the Passive House consultant, the building certifier, and the client of this one project. Uh, So, you know, you're going to get a really fantastic look at this from all angles. So, as I said, even if you're not planning or building, planning on building or renovating in a passive house way, please stay tuned to these episodes. These professionals really teach and demonstrate uh, the type of team that you want to build for your project and what to expect from them in how they work with you. Now, this first episode that I'm sharing today, it's an introduction into what Passive House actually is. So as a building system, it involves a range of measures to have your home performing the way it needs to in order to be deemed Passive House. This is not, you'll hear, this is not a brand name, this is not a trademark, this is actually a system. And in this episode today, I'm going to be talking with Daniel Cress. So Daniel recently became uh, certified to teach the Passive House Designer Consultant course and the Passive House Tradeperson course, which which is run down in Victoria at the moment. And uh, Daniel is passionate about educating Australians about passive house and high performance buildings. Daniel started his career as a carpenter in Germany, and then he worked in Ireland on the biggest residential modular project in the world at that time. So after 10 years in the building game, though, he started his studies in civil civil engineering, and he worked as a researcher for the European Union in sustainable building. He finished his German and Canadian master degrees with the thesis Passive House Design for Perth, Western Australia. 
And Daniel's actually currently based in Perth, uh, which is really interesting because Perth's considered to have a really mild or warm climate. Um, and so, you know, the often asked question about passive houses, is it relevant in such climates because it's so, seen to be used so much more predominantly in very cold, uh, snow-filled climates. Now, Daniel has a background, as I said, as a civil engineer and a carpenter. He really comes from a different perspective on this, and he's so passionate about sustainable, healthy buildings and indoor air quality, which uh, is really one of the most important results that you get from Passive House. He's on the current Australian Passive House Association board, and the Australian Passive House Association will be learning more about that as we go through these episodes. But to let you know, it's an independent, not-for-profit organisation which aims to promote Passive House principles as a way of providing superior indoor comfort and air quality while reducing energy use and carbon emissions from Australia's buildings. And they've got a fantastic website, which is a great resource for you. So I'll make sure I include a link to that in the show notes. Now, Daniel also runs his own business, Smart Plus Homes. And so Smart Plus Homes helps professionals and future homeowners create healthy and comfortable homes and buildings that are energy efficient and sustainable. And so they do this through education, consultancy and design, and they provide the knowledge required to connect the dots and understand the importance of energy efficient designs for comfort and health. So I think you'll agree with me that Daniel is very well positioned as an educator, an engineer, a designer and a consultant, and he's just as well, which is where Passive House originated. Uh, so he's here to talk to us about Passive House. I couldn't be more excited because he's such a great uh, and knowledgeable resource in this regard. So it's really exciting to be able to introduce Passive House to you from such a generous and clever person. So let's dive into my interview with Daniel. Well, Daniel, it's great to have you here. Thanks so much for joining me. I'm really excited to be talking about this topic with you because it's a big topic. There's lots of information to dive into. It can be really confusing for the uninitiated to really understand what this all means. So perhaps you could start by explaining to us what is a passive house? What does that actually mean for a homeowner who's building or renovating? Yeah. First of all, thank you, Amelie, uh, to have me and um, uh, giving me the opportunity to, to help the people out there that you know uh, regarding Passive House. And Passive House is actually the easiest way to describe Passive House. It's a standard, an international standard that allows you to build any building so that it's performing and you have a healthy and sustainable house afterwards. That's more or less what it is. Yeah. Okay. All right. So this obviously then is about um, creating energy efficiency and sustainability and health and well-being. So it's a complete package, isn't it, in terms of a living environment for a homeowner. So yeah. those are obviously some of the key benefits. What do you see really being those, those key elements that really improve people's lifestyles um, and the performance of their home when they take on building or renovating a passive house? Um, the biggest one, I think, is health. And comfort like this is where it really goes to and uh, the health part is still not fully understood uh, especially by the government um, because every house needs ventilation Me mechanical ventilation or control ventilation the problem is if you don't have uh, control ventilation we have accidental ventilation and then you may have good air quality in the house or you may not have a good air quality in the house. So um, the real benefits is that you have a healthy and, and comfortable house and on the same same side is sustainable. So um, because there are two things that we always have to think of, health and sustainability, and that brings it together. So yeah. it actually sounds like this is an opportunity to really control the environment of your home in a way that not designing in this way, you know, would enable you to do. 
like it really separates the external environment from the internal environment. So while the external environment is going wild and we can't control it, the internal environment stays stable the whole year around. And uh, that is just done by separating external from internal, like thermally, from the airflow, from moisture, from temperature, and then uh, we're having um, our stable internal environment. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. So in terms of those different things, you know, when I've looked into passive house design, um, there's obviously a big difference between, you know, and we were talking before we jumped on the interview, between passive design, solar passive and passive house. I know a lot of people get confused about that. What are the key differences between those things? Like what sets passive house apart from just straight solar passive or passive design? Um, simplest said is like passive house is solar passive and steroids. <laughs> like... Uh, <laughs> So, uh, like solar passive and, uh, and, uh, and passive design comes like, like if you look, speak in the modern way, like in the 70s or so, that's where it has these roots where everybody tried to uh, build like this, these houses that don't need energy and uh, like being off grid and all these ideas. Uh, but in that time, we haven't even put the physics really into consideration. Even now, uh, you don't have a program that is calculating you how many kilowatt hours you're actually using in the house at the end of the year. What's your bill? It is passive house that has changed. Passive house is taking the solar passive, uh, like with orientation, uh, shading, size, all that is still the same, and is putting the physics, the building physics into play. And at the end, you can say, that's my bill at the end of the year. That's the size of my heating and cooling system that I need. And that's my bill that I'm paying. So that, that's mainly the difference. And really putting science into play and having a figure that you can look at. So when you're designing a passive house then, can you model all of these things in a predictive way and then determine, okay, based on that, I'm going to have to make these choices and selections about the house. That means that then my bill's only going to be this much. I'm going to be able to keep the air temperature at this. Is that how the ability that a passive house gives you? Exactly. Like um, we have, for example, the Australian uh, Australian uh, constru uh, like National Construction Code. And uh, the mistake in that calculation is about 700%. What do you mean if by you that? By what you actually, what the figure is actually showing you, you know how many kilowatt hours you have with your calculation. What you actually need at the end uh, is a mistake up to seven hundred percent. Wow! So it's a huge, huge difference. Uh, if you look to uh, the German, the French, and the Swiss, the difference is up to three hundred percent, and passive house has a, a difference of hundred percent. So it means uh, if you need fifteen kilowatt hours per square meter, it could be up to thirty, or it could be down at seven and a half. So. Uh, the reason for that uh, differences, this big differences between what we actually calculate and what is actually happening is the end user. Because you can always open your windows in a passive house, you can always uh, use the house you want to, and that has an impact uh, on your heating bill at the end or your cooling, uh, cooling bill. And by this, you, um, you have still an impact of 100%. But overall, when we're taking like hundreds and hundreds of houses, we come really exactly to the, like, a, uh, like a difference of maximum five to ten percent to what we actually calculated with all the houses. So yes, we can calculate the demand up front, but but then we have the problem. We have to control the quality on site as well. 
like in the moment we only look at like if you look to the national construction code we have our plans and we make our decisions on the plans what is actually our energy performance and we're not checking what actually is installed what has been done on site we're not testing air tightness all that bits and pieces so passive house is doing that all together and you have control over the time and then you have a separate certifier that hasn't been involved at all and by this we're really coming um to the results that we want yeah okay so you're basically as part of that design process you're making selections and choices you're modeling what the appliances are going to um, use in terms of energy um, requirements you're looking at what the insulated qualities of the walls and the windows and the roof will mean in terms of the temperature differentiation between the inside and outside and then what you'll need to do in terms of energy use to rectify that based on trying to achieve an indoor air temperature you're um, looking at the lighting and any other you know sort of uh, hot water um, those types of things and you're basically then calculating an, a total amount of kilowatt hours per year in terms of what that occupant's going to need but you're saying that the variable is that the occupant then might open a window or they might leave their heater running for a little bit longer than intentionally planned or that type of thing is that sort of what you're talking about in terms of the that 100 percent variation I'm just trying to understand yeah. that a bit more yeah. so like for example we are all humans so uh, assume you're building a passive house we think uh, we're doing something good for the environment so we say ah i don't want 20 degrees i want 22 degrees in my house so uh, because i want more comfort because i'm paying for it and i'm doing something for the environment anyway so this has already an impact so we have calculated to a low temperature of 20 temperature temperature but they actually heated now up to 22 and then we're having that heating thing or as well in the summer, they're opening the window and they feel the cool breeze coming over their skin and it feels like the external temperature is lower than the internal temperature, but in reality it's five degrees warmer. Only because of the velocity we are feeling uh, on our skin, uh, it feels cooler. And now we're actually heating up the house uh, without thinking of it. And then we're closing it and think, oh, it's really sticky in here. And then we have to get that temperature down again. So that's the reason I recommend to use a thermostat uh, to check the temperature external before I open the window and not the, the feel of the temperature. Like what Pacifos is calculating exactly is your heating and cooling demand. And then you get exactly uh, your demand and your loads. So your demand is your heating bill at the end of the year. And the load is telling you how big your heating and cooling system needs to be. So this is what uh, Passive House is calculating really, really exactly. And then we have another f uh, figure. It's called PER, uh, um, uh, prime, uh, prime Energy Renewable. And that is actually how much energy needs to be, uh, do you need to run the whole building, but not... Or like the figure that we see there is not the figure that we actually have on our heating bill. That's the figure that we actually need to produce. For example, out of one uh, uh, kilowatt, at, like if you have one kilowatt uh, of uh, electricity in our house, we probably need three kilowatt of coal. So it actually looks at this three kilowatt of coal instead of this one kilowatt of uh, electricity in the house. So it's thinking more on a community uh, as a whole. Uh, what is the energy consumption? However, there is like on that sheet as well a figure that tells you how much energy you're using in the building as a total. Yeah. It sounds really complex in terms of these calculations. Is that why, because it does work it out to such a, a higher level of accuracy, it's looking at those inputs versus the outputs and the, the heating and cooling loads and those types of things, 
that it it can be so much more accurate than say the national construction code software sort of system is that is that the biggest difference in it just the level of sophistication i suppose of the passive house computations in terms of how they work that out uh, yeah for sure like you have to have you have more data entry uh, uh, in a passive house like in the phpp that's the passive house planning package uh, that we use for the calculations however um the, the software in the background is doing all that stuff for you. Like, it's such a strong tool. Like, it gives you everything. It gives you the daily temperature swings, the maximum daily temperature swings. You see uh, the annual swings. You see everything in there. So even if you have done the Passive House Designer course uh, and you're now going into the industry, it's the basics. It's the beginning. And you will find, I'm even finding now after years, uh, still, like, new charts in the in this uh, software that... Uh, uh, giving me a completely new insight. So it's a really strong and massive tool. The use of it is actually not too difficult if you learned how to use it. Like it brings you really through the process, through all these different sheets that you have to enter the, the information. So that is not too difficult. But the power of that tool, what is happening in the background is like massive. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So from what I understand about Passive House, it really looks as the, at the building as a, as a complete system. You know, we've sort of talked about these elements that it's calculating and, and measuring to see the performance of the house. Um, I'm just going to read through some of the things that I'm, I've, you know, my research I've sort of understood it looks at and then we perhaps we can talk a bit more about it. So it, it looks at obviously the passive solar design and the landscaping to look at the how the sun and the shade is working on the home so that that can be um, that can be managed to help manage the indoor air temperature. It looks at the insulation, so how much heat or coldness is moving sort of from outside to inside and vice versa. Um, it looks at the window technology, so what is the heat transfer between uh, through the frame and through the glass from inside to outside and vice versa um, because the window is obviously the most permeable part of the home. Um, it looks at the air tightness, so that, and that's something I want to talk a bit more about as we move forward because I know that there's a conception about Passive House that you can just never open a window, otherwise the whole system fails. So, um, But obviously air tightness, and it's as you were saying, we've got that controlled versus that uncontrolled air leakage difference so um, but there is obviously an air exchange system um, that happens in passive house to do a managed ventilation system and then there's that ventilation component so either natural or mechanical again to manage that heat transfer and then there's space heating so looking at the space heating from appliances from lighting from the occupants body heat um, and looking at those heat recovery systems that Passive House uses that I'd love to talk a bit more about. And then, of course, lighting and electrical appliances and their energy use through renewable resources or very low energy um, requirements. So can you just talk me through, there's obviously a lot of components to that. I mean, so it's not like just a case of going, okay, we're going to build a three-bedroom brick home and then we're going to plug it into the Passive House you know, um, assessment system and it's going to tell us what we need to upgrade and downgrade, you know, like this is a actually starting from the bare bones design approach, using the right professionals who understand this stuff and are certified, like how, what, are, what do people need to take into account when they start sort of embarking on this and thinking about all these systems and not getting overwhelmed with the choices and the selections? Yeah, like, first of all, we have a time frame of 45 minutes and um, the normal course is 80 hours and that's the basics. <laughs> so, uh, like, <laughs> so, uh, Daniel, you've got yeah. to make everyone experts inside 45 minutes, okay? Challenge I would love done. To. Like, like, I would like to like get this brain connected to the net and everybody can get the data. But, uh, 
<laughs> it might be an overload for some as well. Like, you know, so it goes even to how many times are you using a tub in a house and how long is the plumbing of that tub and how much water is in that piping. And that energy use that is actually then uh, helping to heat the house if it's the warm one or is cooling the house if it's the cool one is all calculated. So that's the intensity that we go into. But we don't want to go into that <laughs> intensity. So let us go through the basics and what it is all about. Like there is five components that you probably know of the 90 seconds, passive house in 90 seconds, this little video. And these are the main components that we have to look at, plus size and orientation. Like the biggest one is size. Australia has the biggest houses in, Australia, uh, in the world. And we don't have a higher comfort only because of having bigger houses. Um, you probably do that a lot, like um, you probably agree with me that we often have uh, about 30% of unused space in the houses that is just uh, corridors and places that you can't use. So smarter design, spending time on designing uh, saves you so much money in the long run. So that's the first one, reduce the size of your buildings. You don't need 250 square meter for two people, That's it's not needed and you're not getting better uh, comfort in that. Uh, so. That's size. Next one is orientation. Orientation always helps. If you only have windows on east and west, you have overheating like like, like it is, is known. Um, so try to have really your, your north-south uh, orientation with your windows if possible. Um, windows is uh, another topic, but I would like to start from the basic. So the first one is the thermal insulation. Thermal insulation is like in the winter, you're putting your window jacket on. So uh, that's your thermal insulation. That's what we're doing with our houses. We put winter jackets onto our houses, but as well as summer jackets. Like if you think of your ESCII, your ESCII is keeping the internal cold. Like uh, the energy, the heat is not caring if the energy flow is going that way or that way. So the heat is going in both ways. So it means so the listeners, um, Daniel's pointing in one direction and then in the other. If you're not watching this on video, so. okay, <laughs> <laughs> I thought on video. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the um, yeah. So the energy flow, uh, the, the, uh, the heat is not carrying which direction it is going. So um, your thermal insulation works in the summer as in the winter. Yeah, so that's the reason we are in a really good climate over here, like especially in Perth, where we are in the middle and we use it the same amount in the summer as in the winter. So next one is thermal bridge-free construction. So a thermal bridge is a point where heat is leaking through uh, the building envelope because we have a thermal conductor, so a material that is actually letting heat through really, really easily. Um, similar, um, again, with a person, if you're out in the cold, uh, say you're skiing and you're, uh, you're, uh, you're skiing down the hill, your face is getting really cold. That's the reason we're putting uh, a skiing mask on it. And that's then reducing our thermal bridge in our face. So that's a thermal bridge. Uh, and we want to eliminate thermal bridges because thermal bridges are, first of all, like an energy loss, but as well a health risk. Because where a thermal bridge is, we have a colder surface in the winter. And where a colder surface is, we have condensation. And where condensation is, we have mold. And we don't want mold because mold is not good for us. Uh, mold actually increases the, um, the chance of asthma, asthma by 40%. Wow. So in so, a house, that might be something like the window frame, for example, that thermal bridge. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that one is the window frame or even the corner of a house. Because uh, like if it's an external corner, you have a change of direction, a change of direction as well as a thermal bridge. For sure, we cannot only build a straight wall, uh, like then we can't create our, our box to live in. 
because we live in boxes, we look in boxes, we use boxes, we drive in boxes, it's all in boxes anyway. Um, uh, so we have to then over-insulate this corner so that we don't have a thermal bridge there. Yeah, so that, that's the way to look at it. Um, and then that's thermal bridges. Next one uh, is the air tightness uh, that we probably go into more detail later. Air tightness is the air is transporting moisture and heat. And we don't want that moisture is leaking into the building and we don't want heat uh, leaking into the building or leaking out of the building. Then as well, um, because the te uh, while the air is moving through the building envelope, through the buildup, the temperature is dropping and then uh, the relative humidity comes to a dew point and then we have condensation issues in the middle of the world and that's mold that we never see. That's structural damage, that's mold, that it's not good. So we want to stop that, and we only can stop that uh, by making our buildings airtight. Uh, that doesn't mean you're putting a plastic bag over your head, what people <laughs> imagine with it. It's uh, making the building airtight means you don't have uncontrolled uh, um, ventilation, like it's controlled ventilation by the heat recovery ventilation system. That's the last part. The next one is the windows that we just spoke shortly of it. Windows, uh, we want to have connection to the outside via natural light. We want to look outside. So it's a, we want to have natural lighting in the building as much as possible. And as well, we want to use the heat that we're gaining through the windows in the wintertime, but we want to block it out in the summertime. So there is now the solar passive design coming in a little bit with our uh, overhangs and shading devices, but often they are not good enough because we have a really hot day in the winter and now the sun is coming in and is overheating the building, or we have a really cool day in the summer and the heat is not coming in, so because it's really cloudy, for example. So um, this is working in an ideal world, this solar passive design, but not necessarily um, in reality. So that, that's the reason we use high-performing glass that is actually designed so that heat is uh, coming into the amount that we want it to have in, and then we may have operated, uh, operatable blinds externally, not internally. Soon the heat is passing the glass, the heat is in. So uh, everything we do on the, on the inside of the glass is not helping. It only helps with the radiation. So we have to block it externally, so on the outside of the glazing, not on the inside of the glazing. That, that's the first one that is often misunderstood. Uh, so, um, and then have external shading devices. And, in the PHPP, like the, the software, we see every single window what's actually the heat gain or the heat loss. So we can say this window needs a bit more shading, this a little bit less, and then uh, you can use your funky uh, um, architect designs to create the different shadings. So there you can go really wild theoretically. And using like curved shapes and everything, like everything is possible, like I've seen a lot of things there. And then the last one is the heat recovery ventilation. Heat recovery ventilation is doing two things. The ventilation is a health requirement. And ventilation we need in every building. Not only in an airtight building, not only in a passive building, not only in a high performance building. We need uh, ventilation in every building because of health. We are in these uh, houses and we are using these houses. We are breathing, we are creating CO2. And the CO2 levels are rising dramatically even in a not airtight house. Um, in a not airtight house, you might have by accident a good air quality because the pressure difference at this time, uh, time of day or uh, whenever or time of the year is big enough to create this necessary airflow. 
but you may have even two more airflow that we know all this drafty uh, uh, experience that we have. So uh, it's a health requirement because the CO2 levels rise, the VOC levels rise, the, the particle levels rise, and we want to keep them low as close as possible to the external environment because the internal environment that we are creating is an artificial environment. It's not our natural habitat. Our natural habitat is outside in the wild, but we don't want to lie under, under, uh, out in the grass. We want to <laughs> protect the environment. So, um, but by creating this closed box, we're having not the same conditions than we have externally, and we're spending 90% of our time indoors. So that's the reason we really have to get this fresh air into the building, and that's a health requirement. On the other hand, we have the heat recovery part. The heat recovery part is an energy requirement and a sustainability requirement because the heat recovery part is recovering our heat. So we are getting this fresh air in and this stale air out and they are transporting the temperature theoretically from the inside to the outside and from outside in. In the heat recovery part, we're letting these airflows pass each other. And while they are passing, they're transferring heat and if wanted, moisture. So we can have a relative humidity recovery as well. And if we do that, um, we keep the internal temperature, the internal temperature, and the external temperature, the external. And we're able to bring it up to a recovery of 96% now. In terms of you can get 96% of that heat back out of the building. Exactly. Okay. So it means we, we keep the internal temperature to 96% the way that it actually is. And the external uh, gets like his 45 degrees back there as it was coming in. So... Um, this is uh, this That's is heat recovery. It's amazing, I know. And you have to have at least seventy-five percent for passive house. So uh, yeah, and I calculated it like you have a recovery, like the energy that is in there. If you have to heat it and cool it over the year, you would have a recovery of about three hundred dollars a year easily. Uh, in a new build and in a, uh, in in a traditional build as well, like the recovery is more or less always the same. The big losses in the traditional houses is through your, your single glazed windows and through your uh, uninsulated walls or roofs. Uh, so the recovery more or less works the whole time and $300 saving every year, your unit costs you $3,000. So in 10 years you have to pay it anyway, plus the ventilation is in there. So probably in five years you have paid the additional cost for the heat recovery part. So um, Daniel, yeah, that, I think you did really well in terms of a crash course of yeah. <laughs> what, what passive house is. Yeah. So in terms of that heat recovery um, and, you know, anybody who's listening to this podcast or watching this video, it can seem really scientific. And, I mean, it is. That's ultimately what passive house is about. It's a measurable science that actually helps us understand not just stab in the dark and have a guesstimate about how our house is performing, but the software and the, the science behind it and the research behind it enables you to really dive into the nitty-gritty of how your house is going to perform before you actually go investing money in it so that you know that the investments you're making are going to have returns and what the length of those returns are going to be. So I think if this is something that interests a homeowner, it's probably one of the most tangible systems that they can use to really understand how their house is going to perform over the long term. And it's it's proven and it's been, you know, bang, obviously been used and improved since, you know, the 80s when it first got introduced. So I think that that heat recovery system is probably the most mysterious component of all of it, you know. So, it is, it um, is, yeah. so is that actually a unit that then has ducts that run around the house? Like what does that physically look like in a, in a house installation? 
like uh, this unit is the lung of the house. That's the, the way lung? to put it. The yeah. lung. Yeah, that's the easiest way. And then the lung is connected via uh, our bloodstreams that is produce uh, that is transporting the oxygen in in our body. But in this case, the air uh, to the different rooms. So you have this magic box that is doing all this recovery and the filtering. So all your air you're getting into the house is filtered. So people with uh, a hay fever, they will love it. <laughs> uh, so um, this filtered air then goes into the rooms like sitting rooms or bedrooms. And then it goes through your hallway over to your bathrooms, kitchens, uh, uh, toilets, and there it's extracted. So everywhere we have smells and uh, moisture, you extracting and all the places where you're spending most of the times like sitting rooms and bedrooms uh, you are supplying the fresh air and then you're bringing it over so you never have your house is not smelling like cooking any longer after like uh, you, you don't have moisture coming out of your bathroom any longer you could even design the system so that your mirror in the in the in the bathroom is not fogging up any longer so like there's a lot of like we are reducing energy, but we are gaining so much on comfort and so much on health. And passive house is only the first step. And it is a step. We have to do this step. If we're not doing uh, the whole concept of passive house, not certification, I'm not speaking of certification and uh, do everything like to the needy greedy that is in the PHPP. But the concept of passive house is the first step. If you're only doing a half a step of that, we tremble. Like if you're going up a step and we're not getting the whole step, we're running against the step and then we tremble. And that is what is happening if you're not doing the full step. And then we're creating uh, uh, health issues because of mold growth, of uh, moisture issues, of all that things that happen. So passive house is the first step. And then there are more steps to come. We come then to the plus energy housing where you produce energy in the house. Then you come to the smart housing where you uh, uh, then share ed energy smartly with all the others. And then if you put that all together, you come to Smart Plus Homes. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> Nicely done. So <laughs> that's the thing. I mean, I think that, um, you know, and we'll be talking in a future episode um, to an owner um, who's building a passive home so that, you know, we can understand from a client's point of view sort of what the journey was for them embarking on this. Um, but I think that it is really interesting to think about this kind of being the way of the future. I've been reading a lot of articles recently um, because at the time of recording this, um, you know, one of the, the largest sort of prefab housing suppliers or prefab building suppliers has just gone into um, receivership. There's a, you know, and there's a lot of conversation around how just the lack of innovation that's happened in the construction industry, in a, you know, in every other industry, we're seeing innovation happening on a regular basis. But the construction industry itself is still pretty much, you know, in terms of, uh, some of the materials have changed and, you know, those types of things. But really, when you look at the pace of change in other industries, the construction industry hasn't really done a lot of change by comparatively. And so, you know, I see that passive house, it's a really exciting opportunity for people to understand just what's possible um, when they're building a new home. And the, the thing with this is that the more demand there is for it, the lower the cost of these additional measures are going to be and the more access there'll be to certified consultants and those types of things. It won't be this fringe kind of, you know, experience. It'll be something much more mainstream. So can you talk to me, is it is it only applicable to building new or is it something that somebody consider if they're renovating a home as well? Um, there are standards for renovation as well. That's Enafit. Uh, so there is a... Um, um, there's a ret retrofitting uh, uh, options as well where the standards are not so high 
because they are especially air tightness is one of that uh, points that is really difficult in uh, retrofitting. Uh, and uh, so there are as well of there are steps of doing that as well in uh, in renovating houses. Uh, and there are ways like if you do it, do it right. So if you're replacing your windows, replace them already with the quality of a, of a passive house. Then think about the air tightness around the windows. Then you have to think of the air quality as well. So there are some steps you can, you have to do together and the other steps that you can do separately. So um, if you are changing the external render or, uh, on, the, on the house, uh, then put as well thermal insulation on and then put the render on again. Like there are like steps that you should do together and not necessarily say, I want to do now everything in one go, but for example, your external render has another lifetime of 15, uh, 15 years, so do it in 15 years because you're just creating costs that you don't need. Or your windows, okay, the windows with the single glazing it probably makes sense straight away to change them. Uh, like there's, every, like I see it similar to a doctor. You can't uh, say to a patient via the phone what you need to do. You have to see the patient. And the house is the patient, and I have to, like every person that is taking it seriously has to see the patient first before you actually can tell what what is the right approach. And that's the reason uh, we can't do that via phone, like the, the consulting on renov renovation. New builds, no problem, but renovations, we need to uh, be at the place and look at it and then say, yeah, you could do this, you could do this, you could do that. Yeah. Just in terms of seeing what you need to physically improve based on sort of what's happening in situ. So... I think too it's really good that you've pointed out just how key ventilation is in all of this because I know that, um, you know, we had uh, a building biologist on the podcast a few episodes ago. She talked about the issue with creating air tightness without ventilation because of then condensation and mould being a big problem in homes. Obviously, if you've got um, materials that are off-gassing, you know, volatile organic compounds and those types of things and you don't have ventilation, that's going to cause issues with health and well-being. How, you know, in terms of those misconceptions that people have around passive house, you know, one is we can never open a window. Like what, what, are, what are those kinds of, you know, misunderstandings that you see? And, you know, I know another one I know is my house is just going to have to look a certain way or I'm going to have to live really frugally. I'm never going to be able to kind of, you know, um, splash out and have the heater on longer than I'd planned because everything's been calculated to an nth degree. Like what do you, how do you sort of coach people through those, those misunderstandings? Okay. So uh, first of all, windows can be opened. Like that's <laughs> the biggest one. You can open the window and you open whenever you want them. You are the user. It's your house, and uh, I'm not coming along and uh, slapping on your hand and saying, "No, no, no." <laughs> no we didn't happening. design it this way. <laughs> exactly. And you're not getting a necklace with like electrical current that is. Uh, then. <laughs> So, it gets so that's buzzed from a remote location. <laughs> you open the window. <laughs> so yeah, like that, that's not happening. So uh, it's totally in your control. You can do whatever you want with your building. It's your house. Uh, second, the heat recovery ventilation is not a heater and it's not a cool, uh, cooling device. It's recovering heat. So uh, in a passive house, you always have a little bit of heat, le uh, heating demand and cooling demand left. And the reason for that is it would be uneconomical to go the whole way because then you have to triple the thermal insulation to actually come to that point and then it really lim uh, limits you in the design. So... Um, that's a that's a big issue. Uh, so um, another big issue. That's something that people misunderstand when they say, "Yeah, I have a heat recovery ventilation system. I don't need any heating." No, you need a little bit of a heating. Normally, a split system is enough, or two split systems. I normally say one per hundred square meter, and then you're fine. Um, 
Overheating uh, is often an issue that people say passive houses overheat. Um, and as well, the regulation of passive house allows to 10% overheating. That's a lot of overheating. And I wouldn't build a house with 10% overheating. I would never go above five if I, have a, if I don't have a cooling device. If I have a cooling device, like a split system, then uh, I don't have that problem because the cooling is needed when energy is for free. Because you have your solar system on the roof and you can use it then directly for cooling. So um, the heating is far more for more energy, uh, energy sensible because it happens to the times when we don't have energy available, like in oh, the cold season. I get you when your solar system's not being um, juiced up with the sun because it's overcast weather and those types of things. So the heating system is the one that you can supply you energy for, but the cooling system is the one that's going to be supplied by renewable resources because you've got solar on your roof. Is that my understanding that correctly? Yeah, like exactly that. Like the cooling happens when we have free energy or really cheap energy available, and the heating is happening when there's a really little amount of energy. And we even have to have seasonal storage, like from summer into winter, because in the summer we have more energy than in the winter, and that that is the expensive part. Soon we have to make out of like in a totally renewable energy uh, network that there's no coal or no uh, natural gas or oil or anything like that in the, there any longer in the mix. Then we have to store from summer into winter, and that would be power to gas. So it means we are splitting water into oxygen and hydrogen, and then we're putting CO2 to it, and we're creating methane. And methane is like natural gas, and we're storing that like natural gas. And then we store it from summer into winter. And then we bring it back to electricity and um, uh, heat heat the house in the, uh, in the, in the winter time. Oh, so wowzers. that is like, yeah, like... Uh, that could be a whole other episode like, talking <laughs> about how that works. Yeah. Um, so that's the reason overheating, yes, uh, passive houses can overheat, but it's not such a bad thing because you have free energy available anyway because putting a, uh, you probably, you had a podcast about photovoltaic just now, like solar systems, and they said like it's always economical, I guess. Uh, I haven't listened to it, but it is always economical to put it on. So, um, and then you have the energy available anyway. Um, what's more questions? Yeah. <laughs> ah, so and it has to look a certain way it has to uh, that's another thing people think that they're going to have a house that aesthetically is going to be a particular particular style because of all of these design devices that are used to make the house a passive house yeah like uh, um, the design is not necessarily uh, limited like for example there's the limestone house uh, if you google that that's a passive house and that's like <laughs> That's architecturally really interesting, yeah. So, and it's not just a box. However, go into your rooms and check if it's a box. Every single room is a box. It is always square, 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 square. Okay, my sitting room has now a little bit of corners in it, but uh, normally it is a box. So, uh, always saying I don't want to live in a box. You're living in a box. That's reality. <laughs> you know? uh, and I normally say. Because every external corner that you're putting in and every uh, shape that you're changing, like if you're changing shapes, you're increasing thermal bridging. If you increase thermal bridging, you have higher energy demands that you need to then um, uh, compromise or like not to, um, how you say, not compromise to eliminate by more thermal insulation over the whole building or better windows. So you can build more or less any shape. In a, with a passive house, however, uh, it's a question of money. Uh, so um, then I would like 
for the architects, I say try to work with surfaces and not with shapes. Gotcha. Create a box and then change the surface, change the material on the surface, the color of the surface, maybe have a feature wall that comes out, but keep the thermal envelope a box okay. as much as possible. And that's because going to be, that makes it cost effective. yeah, that's going to be cost effective and energy effective as well. So, all right. So we have covered a lot of ground and we're going to be diving into more detail in coming episodes about Passive House from different points of view, which I think is going to be really helpful for the UI community to understand this from, you know, the client's point of view and architect's point of view, um, builders, certifiers, consultants. This is a, it's a really fantastic um, topic to understand in more detail. If somebody's wanting to sort of start thinking about this for their for their new home or their renovation, what are your big tips that you recommend in terms of them embarking on this journey and um, not getting overwhelmed and too confused about it, you know, and really sort of being able to find the right people to work with? How do you recommend they go about it? Like passive house design that starts as early as town planning. That's the reason in Europe we have a lot of town planners. So get your passive house designer involved as early as possible. It will save you thousands, ten thousands of dollars just by getting a professional involved early on. And the problem is if you're coming to a passive house designer with your fancy design that you are totally in love with and he looks at it and thinks, mm. or she. <laughs> oh, he or she, yeah. Uh, um, you're trying it's to just difficult. pump like it through made, that system. Exactly, yeah. like you have, you have made your mind up already. You like that. You have done so much work in that already. And now uh, you get a completely different perspective from the performance, not only from the aesthetics. And then uh, you uh, you're run into trouble of paying a lot of money to get what you actually designed or going back to pay more for the designer to get a more cost-effective uh, solution. So um, get your professionals involved as early as possible. Get your builder, like have an interview with three, four builders that you think they could be worthwhile working with and then say, yeah, I work with you. Like I work with you from the beginning, have you involved and have all these professions involved. Like the architect often has 90% of the time, but he has only 10% of the knowledge. And all the other professions like builders, engineers, uh, passive designers, uh, all of them, they're coming in this last 10% with the 90% of knowledge and then have to work around this design that was already created. So try to get everybody uh, in line really, really early on in your project because then you get a far more cost-effective and far, more, uh, um, far better results in doing so. Yeah. yeah, it strikes me that this is something that you really need to work with certified professionals. You teach the certification course and there's, um, you know, a growing group of, of certified professionals uh, across the industry in Australia and, and in any place, you know, we've got uh, listeners and viewers who watch from all parts of the globe and so Passive House is something that has really, I am seeing grow and there's associations in uh, across, you know, various countries that then have uh, the ability for you to find certified professionals who can work with you in this way. And it's really, as Daniel said, getting the team in place up front so that everybody's working collaboratively, that's going to be the way that you really work to, cre to create this holistic home because it is, it's a very much a holistic approach. This is not something you can do piecemeal. 
um, and it's not something that you can just apply to a finished design. You do need to use this as an approach overall. You can still have the home that you want in terms of functionality, look, style, um, you know, and layout, but you're going to be working with the unique qualities of your site, your climate and your location to make sure that you're really lowering the energy uh, use of the home and that you're creating something that's going to be comfortable and energy efficient and um, and really support your health and well-being. So, I think um, it's just been such a fantastic crash course in <laughs> Passive House, Daniel. I can't thank um, you enough. May, <laughs> may, may, I, may I say something uh, yes. to the end? Like, because it's not only about Passive House. Like, it, it is bigger. Like, the whole thing is far bigger than Passive House. And uh, pa the, the Passive House principles need to be uh, applied. And the reason for it is health, 100% and sustainability. If you want to achieve the goal of uh, only 1.5 degrees uh, global warming, then we have to act. 23% of the Australian uh, energy consumption comes from the building use, not from producing buildings, only from using our buildings. And by passive house, we can bring that down to uh, probably 5% from, uh, from 23 to 5. So this is a huge opportunity for us to really reduce the energy consumption and get to our uh, climate goal that we really have to achieve or we must achieve. If you want that our children and children's children have still a planet like we know it, we have to act now. Uh, passive house is not a trademark. Passive house, there is no, uh, like everybody can build a passive house. You don't need to be a certified passive house designer. You can call your house a passive house. However, if you say you have a passive house, uh, you want a passive house and you are delivering a passive house, you must deliver. Passive house is really clearly uh, specified. And if somebody says, I'm, uh, I'm selling you a passive house and must fulfill these uh, requirements. There are so, uh, law case, cases out there of people, they were selling a passive house and it has not been a uh, passive house. So even it's not a trademark and it's not like uh, something that is protected. The standard is really clear and it's, uh, it's globally worldwide available. So if a passive house is offered, passive house needs to be delivered. Um, and you don't need to go through certification. Only certi like there's no need for that. You can build a passive house. Apply the passive house principles to everything. Um, the certification is only giving you an additional safety factor because the designer is then checked by the certifier and another pair of eyes is looking over it. And that's the reason it's so valuable to use that, especially in an industry that is so, un uh, uh, so undeveloped and is really new. And there are a lot of things that can easily be done wrong. Um, passive house is not rocket science. It's simple. It is really simple at the end. Like it is really complex. And to get your head around it is not uh, easy. That's the reason we have our professionals. That's the reason we have certified passive house designers that actually pass the test of the passive house institute. So um, we really like it is simple. It's it, it's not difficult. We're just separating external from internal. That's what we are doing and creating a, a, a nice, warmy, cozy environment internally. Yeah. That's fantastic, Daniel. Thank you so much for your wisdom and your advice and your knowledge and sharing that with the UA community. It's been fantastic having you on the podcast. I know that uh, everyone will find it incredibly helpful uh, in understanding more about Passive House. So cheers. Thank you, Amelia. And it was great talking to you. And yeah, it was nice to be here. Thank you. So what a great introduction to Passive House, hey? Hopefully that's helped you understand more about what it means and how it's achieved in a project. 
Over the coming episodes, you'll certainly learn a lot more about the detail of doing this in your project from lots of different professional points of view. And we'll also talk about renovations as well as new builds. Now, in the next episode, I'll be introducing you to the Owl Woods Passive House. This is a project that's in regional Victoria. It's recently finished and you'll be hearing about this project from all the different team members, including the owner, uh, who's actually going to be on our next episode. It's a great opportunity for you to get a real insider view, not only on Passive House, but the process of designing and building a new home from their point of view. In the meantime, please share this podcast with any friends or strangers even, (laughs) you know, are planning to build or renovate their home, you know, particularly if they need to learn about sustainable design or they want to create an energy efficient home because we are sharing loads of resources here to help. If you'd like my knowledge, support and guidance for creating your future home, then remember to check out my online course, How to Get It Right in Your Reno or New Home. It's a really great way to get informed and educated for your project, whether you're very early in your planning or you're really kicking it up a gear or you've even started designing your future new home or renovation. Karen, a previous member, actually said about the course, I think the combination of information presented and the closed Facebook group of people in similar situations means you not only had professional guidance, but you had people asking questions you either hadn't thought to ask or were afraid were silly. Thank you for helping me get a little bit closer to achieving my dream. The course now gives you access not only to the fantastic lessons on the steps involved in home renovating or building, it also includes a private Facebook group with monthly Q&A live sessions with me, plus a library of tips and strategies, key tools and resources, and so much helpful stuff to save you time, money and stress in your project. Head to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash how to get it right to learn more about what's included and to join right away. As always, thanks for listening and for letting me be your secret ally. Until next time, bye.